Hello, you're listening to Lost in the Woods, a podcast about Root the board game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How was that for an intro? Amazing. What's going on? I don't understand. We're lost in the woods. That's what's going on. We're out in the Yeah. So for fans of Drawn to the Flame, uh, just skip this episode. There's nothing of value here for you. (laughs) Just move it straight on. Yeah. That's that's what you wanted me to say, right? Just it's not worth yeah. listening to it. <laughs> it's not worth anyone listening to it, <laughs> yeah. especially people who like us already. <laughs> They're yeah, definitely exactly. not not, exactly. not the kind of crowd who've stumbled across this. Yeah, what the hell are we doing, Peter? What's going on? Well, we've both been chatting about this game route behind the scenes mm-hmm. for some time, <laughs> for yeah. a number of weeks, because it's really struck a chord with us both. Yeah, and just to to stretch our board gaming legs, I guess I can't remember who suggested it. One of us suggested. Mm. We do a podcast on it. Yeah, yeah. I think one of us said, like, maybe we should mention it on the cast. And someone else was like, well, we could talk about it for a bit. And it's sort of, the idea has slowly grown a little bit like a small acorn in the woods that grows into a mighty oak. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the other thing is, you know, it's it's traditional among podcasts that at episode 160-ish, you have a break and you do something else. So we're also just following a long tradition of podcasts that have a mid-season break of this kind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, after you know we've put in that little bit of work for the next for the 160 episodes we've just done. Yeah, and before we start planning out the next 160, we're just going to take a quick breather. Quick breather, exactly. Yeah, uh, and you know maybe I'll, later on I'll say there's some more serious points about playing other games, but yeah, for now, just I think the headline is that we both have been gently exploring Root and finding ourselves talking about it behind the scenes. And we wanted to share that with you, the listener. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yes. So what is it in case people haven't played Root before? It, it's an odd leap going from the game we spend every week talking about, mm. which should we, should we leave that nameless for the moment? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go as long as we can without mentioning it. Okay. Yeah. The game we talk about every week to, to this game, which is a, a, a Troops on a Map war game mm-hmm. a, a board game Has one that you yeah there's no campaign element to it mm-hmm. it's quite it's quite a different experience i guess right back to the beginning for anyone who doesn't know root what what is root it was a game i think it originated on kickstarter right mm-hmm. yeah it's patrick leader and leader games with art by and the arts may be the first thing a lot of people notice about it or what mm, sticks out yeah. in people's minds is Cole, fill in his surname, please. Whirly? Cole Whirly. Unless it's like Ver, Verla, but... Verla. I, I don't know. So it, it's a game set in a woodland mm-hmm. where every player takes the side of one of the factions that live in the woodland or, or rule the woodland, bits of the woodland, mm-hmm. or aspire to rule bits of it. You play out this war game to try and figure out who's going to become the, the new incumbent ruler. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. The animals are anthropomorphized, so they have swords and shields and weapons, and they have different kind of factions and ruling styles. So there's a marquise, there's a dynasty, there are there's guerrilla warfare and things like that. So some of the vibe makes me think a little bit of Game of Thrones or sort of Robin Hood. You know, this idea yeah. that there's an evil oppressor in the woodland and there's different people hiding from that person. So if you if you have if you imagine the Disney Robin Hood, you know the fox that that cartoon from way back when. Imagine that, but super violent, and you're getting yes. close to what Root is. Absolutely, yeah. And there's I think a lot of people have said this, although the the, the kind of adorable presentation masks quite a brutal story under it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's one of the things that's appealed to both of us. Really, is that it it tells a story of of uh, oppression and warfare mm. and you know the styles of government of these factions without necessarily bringing in uh real world the real world to it yeah yeah so well I, it it is the real world because it, it these are things that actually happen but mm. without labeling them sides in a particular conflict yeah yeah i like that too i think there's something that seems dissonant about the presentation of cute woodland animals fighting tooth and claw 
but then actually that somehow that blends really nicely and sort of works and maybe it is that the animal kingdom is intrinsically violent and fierce and so there is actually something accurate there obviously most mice don't wear helmets and carry broadswords but you know apart from that small detail there's there's something kind of about the struggle for survival and the fierceness of nature that i find really great i don't know whether you ever as a child watched the animals of farthingwood mm, i think probably yes, everyone yes, around yes. our, day, our, our yeah. age did but you, when you go back to that and you look at some of the stuff that happened you maybe don't remember or maybe you do you know wake up in the night and remembering uh, how brutal that program was mm. there's an infamous infamous episode where the shrike kills them all the mice family's children mm. and then impales their bodies on the spikes of a tree yeah yeah collects the bodies yeah or, or mrs hedgehog freezing in the middle of the road and then both hedgehogs dying under the wheels of a truck mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> just horrific stuff carnage yeah but you know i, I think there's that's maybe a good kind of touchstone for the feel of it. You know, you've got this, what looks like quite a nice presentation, but masks a a brutality under it. Mm -hmm. Yes. One of the things I knew about this game, I'd seen reviews about it that said exactly that. It's super cute. The art is amazing. It's asymmetrical, which we should have mentioned. It's asymmetrical to every faction plays slightly differently. We'll probably talk about that more. But the actual mechanics of the game are really cutthroat. And what I've even discovered playing it, which I find really satisfying, is it's not enough for everyone to stick in their own lane and try and win. It's interaction with the other players that gives Root its particular flavour. So I saw one review suggest that it's like everyone is building their own puzzle, but one of the pieces that you need will be in someone else's puzzle. And so you have to interact with people and steal the piece you need and interact And that will obviously stop them completing their puzzle and that will help you complete yours. And that's, I mean, a slightly obscure way of talking about it. But basically, it sort of boils down to it's not enough just to win. It's also you have to stop other people winning. So it's very competitive. Absolutely. And and, I mean, you say competitive. I almost view it as political. And when I've played it, it, that struck me. What at first I thought was quite a mechanical game. Mm. actually becomes a lot about the social interaction around the table. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I would find it far less compelling playing with people I didn't know. Mm. Because I think part of it is understanding your, your friends and, and what they're trying to do and translating their position on the board into how that impacts on the other players and yourself. Mm. So you might be trying to forge an alliance of players who are behind to take down a player who's threatening your lead... Mm-hmm. Or is you know threatening to win the game? That's I think that's one of the really compelling aspects to it. You're also trying to hide how well you're doing from the other players. Yeah, you have two different types of communication going on in someone's particular turn. You've got direct communication where players are talking to that player, saying, "Oh, have you thought about attacking this clearing? Because can you see how scary the cats are getting in this clearing?" And the person goes, "Oh no, I hadn't noticed that." And then you've also got the indirect communication where the people who are not taking their turn are talking to each other and maybe pointing out things. Oh, he might go here. And if he goes here, you're really under threat, mate. So you're going to really need to step <laughs> up and deal with him. And there's all of this scheming going on. Or they might be saying, well, look, he's on he's on 20 points. We need to deal with this guy. And the person who's taking their turn saying, look, I'm not threatening. I'm just I'm just doing my thing. Leave me alone. There's a, so <laughs> the, the level of communication can be really satisfying. And then it can suddenly turn where someone becomes a new perceived threat. And everyone else is suddenly saying, actually, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You're a problem now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. And it surprised me how much I noticed that was happening from a game that, as I said, I thought was quite mechanical and yeah. just some people sitting around moving nice looking uh, tokens around a map. Mm, yeah. yeah. Should we look a bit more at the factions? I mean, you said earlier it's slightly asymmetric. Yeah, slightly. I, think you said, I think you said slightly, and I yeah. was about to call you out on it. <laughs> it's it's yeah. very asymmetric because each faction, mm-hmm. although your winning condition across the factions are pretty much the same, so mm-hmm. you either get to 30 points or you uh, you get a dominance victory, which we can talk a bit about. Uh, the way you get points for every faction is totally different, and the way you mm-hmm. play as a faction is totally different. There's only there's a handful of common rules across the factions. Mm-hmm. So movement, crafting, sort of broadly the same. The use of cards, yeah. sort of broadly the same. 
but pretty much everything else is different. So in in the core set, in terms of factions, or in the in the base game, there was mm-hmm. four factions. Yeah. There's probably the most easy to grasp from a if you've played other board games, the marquee the marquees of cat who want to industrialize the waste uh, the, the wasteland want to industrialize the forest mm-hmm. uh, they play like a classic strategy game really they're building workshops building sawmills moving resources around moving troops around recruiting mm-hmm. troops fighting they're very direct strikingly they own the woodland as well they are the rulers at the start of the game and that is evidenced by the fact that 11 of the 12 clearings have cat meeples in them when the game begins so they they dominate the woodland to begin with i think the backstory is they managed to take over the woodland while the the birds were busy infighting something that, like that yeah exactly and their their goal is to bring industry to the woodland to cut down trees to a little bit like saruman in lord of the rings they're sort of building an army taking control they're fierce oppressors or you know agents of order and progress depending on if you're playing as they're more against them. Absolutely, yeah. And and the the cats start in such a strong position. To an extent, there's nowhere to go but down for them. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is get some early momentum and then maintain that through the game yeah. as it becomes harder to score points. And that's when you start out playing. I think cats are the the obvious first target for someone to, to try and take down a peg or two. Mm-hmm. But also almost a necessary force in the game to keep some of the other factions in check. Yes. So one of the early things that cats might be doing is withdrawing strategically from some clearings and picking a kind of area that they're going to try and dominate because they know that if they spread themselves too thin, they leave themselves open to be attacked by some of the other factions that we're going to talk about. And it, it can be a really fun experience playing cats where you you essentially feel under threat from from the get-go and that can be really challenging about like well what what am i happy to lose what do i what do i really need to keep or protect where do i need to position my forces it's the closest as well to the classic war game style i'd say yeah you've got lots of troops and you're positioning it yeah it reminds me a little bit if you've ever played any real-time strategy games sometimes if you're playing a campaign normally you build your base and you prepare and then you attack the enemy but some missions you'd start and you'd already be given a fully functioning base with like loads of towers and turrets and things, and the mission would be more about survival than about yeah. <laughs> building up. And that's kind of what the Marquise the Cat is like. It's like you've got all of this territory to, to begin with, but what are you happy to lose, and how do you how do you turtle up to protect yourself? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned geckos there, but we'll talk about the lizards later. <laughs> the next faction is the the Airy, or the, what are they called? The Airy Dynasty. Yeah. It's an official name, which is a collection of birds, a parliament. Parliament of birds, yeah. Yeah, we can call them that. They operate in a totally different way. They have a very rigid bureaucratic structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, They operate on a decree, and every turn they have to fulfill all the orders in their decree. So you've got the standard actions in the game. Let me see if I can get this right in order. Recruit, move, battle, build. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, every turn they're adding cards into this decree, so they have to be able to do them all from particular suits of clearing. The the clearings all have one of three suits. Uh, If you ever can't fulfill any of the items in your decree, your government collapses, and the birds just, like, fall into infighting, and then you have to elect a new leader, you have to start your decree again pretty much from scratch. And the birds start focused in one corner of the game. So, yeah, I mentioned that the cats have 11 clearings... The final clearing, the twelfth clearing, is where the eerie has. It starts with a clump of six birds and one roost, and it's just in its tiny corner, ready to start swooping out across the trees and taking over. So while cats score points for building buildings and clearings, the airy score points every turn based on how many buildings they've built. Mm-hmm. And what this translates to is, at a certain point, they they. They've built up a momentum to, to just carry them through towards victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at this point, they might have this big towering decree uh, going, which allows them to take lots of actions as long as they can do them all. What you sometimes end up seeing with the birds as a result of their decree 
is them doing very inefficient things like flying from one clearing and then flying straight back Absolutely. because they yeah, have one to bird. fulfill certain amount of moves to keep their decree happy. So they end up like fluttering around inefficiently and doing all sorts of different things just to fill in the degree. And it weirdly does model the kind of slightly erratic bird behavior where suddenly a whole flock of sparrows rushes across the map and then at another moment one just kind of hops from clearing to clearing or whatever yeah. it is. The frequent thing birds do is go to war when they don't think they can win because Mm -hmm. you have a limited pool of troops to draw from for recruitment. And again, if you can't recruit, then your government collapses. Yeah. So you're desperately trying to get some of your birds killed so they go back in in the supply. I've seen lots of turmoil caused by an, an inability to recruit. Yeah, exactly. If you've played that kind of safe turtling up game with the birds you're just spreading slowly managing your decree if you've not been aggressive and used battling the birds go into turmoil they want to expand their forces and are unable to and so they overthrow their own government as a result yeah turmoil is both completely crushing and also recoverable from which yes It's something that I found very satisfying about the game you lose points based on certain cards in your decree for going into turmoil But then you get to choose a new leader and you have a choice of four. And the the leader you choose gives you a couple of cards for your decree straight away. So you can say, actually, I'm going to change direction. I want to be more aggressive. I want to battle more or whatever it is. And then you can start rebuilding quite quickly. So it's it's an interesting one where turmoil at the wrong, wrong time can really wipe you out in terms of points. But also if you're already built a really good control of the board, it almost is a chance to like change direction. So it can be a necessary thing, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Someone said to me, seeing the birds play, it's very easy as someone else to think you could do a better job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you play the bird birds and you're like, no, this is, this is horrible. You, yeah. you have this thing where, you know, in the first few turns, the bird player's eyes are kind of agleam with the possibilities. So many actions. Mm. I'm going to put two cards in my decree because that's two extra yeah. actions every turn. And then five turns later, when they've got this towering stack of birds squawking at them, telling them to do different things, they're like, oh no, why do I have to play a card into my decree? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you might be like, so the, the three suits are fox, mouse and bunny, and there are four clearings of each. If you've put, you know, recruit in, in mouse, and you really want to be fighting in fox clearings... But every time you recruit, they, you have to recruit in mouse clearings. You think, oh, okay, I need to make sure I can move my birds from mouse clearings to fox clearings because I want to fight there. Oh, but I have to build in bunny clearings, so I should probably go and fight in the bunny, <laughs> you know. It's, yeah, it's brain bending. They're great fun, the Eerie Dynasty. Who's yes. next? I think maybe my favourite. I just realised I was going to try and do a joke where I said every faction was my favourite as we were going okay. through them. I was so. going to say Roland Banks. <laughs> <laughs> who's that? I don't, don't know who that is. <laughs> it's a joke from another podcast. Yes, the Woodland Alliance, or the mice, as I often mm-hmm. call them. Yeah. So so the, the idea is that you've mentioned the suits on the clearings. Mm-hmm. The inhabitants of the of the woodland are the, the, the fox, the bunnies, and the mice. They're just mm-hmm. the regular folks who live there. And I think it's meant to be the, the faction of the clearing is like the dominant group who live there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I say mice. It's actually the woodland lions are built up of the regular folks who live in the forest, mm-hmm. and they're kind of sick of these cats and birds bossing them around all the time. Mm, yeah. So a faction within them are organising a, resi- a resistance to the occupation of the woodland, uh, and that's called the woodland alliance. Mm. And weirdly, so cats start everywhere. Birds start with a strong presence in one area. The woodland lions don't start with any pieces on the board at all. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. El Zilcho. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, this is a two-player game, is it? Like, no, <laughs> I'm playing as well. <laughs> and what you do then is is you start to build sympathy in clearings. So, you know, maybe there's a, you know, someone handing out pamphlets saying, mm-hmm. you know, cat, no, cats out, birds, yeah. no thanks. <laughs> this sympathy grows, gives you supporters, and eventually you'll have enough support in order to organize a revolt. And at that point, you establish uh, a base in a clearing. Mm. And that's when kind of the game really starts for the Woodland Alliance, because they'll start to recruit commandos who can sneak around, do operations at night. 
mm. melting back into the forest when they're done. One of the most fun things about them, I find, is that they have this special rule, which is guerrilla warfare. Mm-hmm. Not gorilla, gorilla. There's no gorillas in the game. It's a different, it's from the jungle, gorilla warfare. (laughs) (laughs) Different expansion. Yeah. And this means that when they're attacked, they always count as, so so they always count as the aggressor in an attack, Mm. uh, which means they, they, the odds are that they will lose fewer pieces. Yeah. And in fact, it means they'll always only lose as many as the, as the attacker loses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Which is the flip of the normal, the normal way. Yep. So, you know, once they get dug in somewhere, they are incredibly hard to remove. Mm. Yeah. Their their staying power once they manage to do that is incredible. To the extent it's it's almost it's not worth trying to dig them out of a location they're in. Mm. What I've seen playing is that once they have a stronghold or maybe a, a couple of clearings that are strongholds, the game almost shifts around them. It's like yeah. they're pebbles in a stream and people are just, you know, you could go marching in with huge forces, but you're probably not going to get anywhere. Or maybe you'll see some like random birds fly in just because they know they're going to die in there. So yeah. they just sort of send them in to kind of pick away at them. But the cat, particularly the cats, I think, hate them because they're really hard to shift. Yes, they're hard to shift by military force. Mm. Now, what I think you can do against them is you just park a load of troops on one of their bases that Mm -hmm. kind of prevents them from spreading too far yes yeah which is a common tactic just kind of sit on the rebellion but also at the same time what you can do is is suppress their sympathy Mm -hmm. where you just send people in to crack some heads yeah you know and moving into their clearings with troops yeah that that builds them support which is Mm -hmm. kind of one of their resources they've got to organize revolts yeah. So there's this really nice theme aspect of it where the more you suppress the the alliance, the stronger they get. Yes, yeah. And there's this also this really nice tension that you get points if you get rid of their sympathy yes. because that's tokens that you're scoring for getting rid of. So you're like, okay, I'll just go crush the defenseless resistance. Like that's that's easy. I'll just kill them. I'll get loads of points. But the Woodland Alliance get points for spreading sympathy. So yeah. every time you clear out their sympathy and you give them a card which becomes a supporter, you're giving them more chances to spread sympathy. So do you go really aggressive on the Alliance and can keep them completely locked down, score some early points? You're fueling them for later. It's 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 like a classic revolt, isn't it? Every yeah. time you, you knock us down, we'll only grow stronger sort of thing. Plays out really nicely in the game. I really like that you mentioned the thing about them operating at night. So the turn in route has three phases. It has birdsong, daylight, and evening. Yeah. And each faction interacts with those steps differently. So the Eerie Dynasty in birdsong is when they add to their decree. And then in daylight, they follow through with their decree. But the Alliance is really clever how it kind of messes with that. Because the Alliance in birdsong, that's when they spread sympathy. So it's like... At dawn, they're sneaking around saying, have you heard about the horrible cats? And all of their military operations happen for them in evening. So evening is normally the time when you're just sort of, you know, drawing up to your hand limit and uh, maybe doing a bit of tidy up. There's not much that happens in evening, apart from for the alliance where they're sending out their troops and fighting. And uh, I just love it. They're sort of Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and the idea of a mouse commando sneaking around at night is just yeah, exactly. fantastic. Chuntering around. So yeah, they're really cool. And that leaves us with one faction, but yes. I say f- faction slightly uh, confusedly, because the final faction is the Vagabond, and yes. it's a single person, it's the Raccoon. Yes, well, I mean, it couldn't be a Raccoon. It, there's, I think when you pick the, the Vagabond, you pick a type of Vagabond you are, uh, <laughs> although the Meeple definitely looks like a Raccoon. They might yeah. be a Badger or a Beaver. Yeah. Uh, I think there's even a cat. Yeah, but so in, in some of the expansions, head. they've added more, which is great. There's also a squirrel. <laughs> oh, is there? Yeah, and an opossum as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is which is good fun. But basically, the the, the vagabond is a, is an adventurer. Yeah, it's like a D and D character. So you have a class, and then you just cruise around, clearing out dungeons, completing quests. Yeah, take everything we've said so far. And forget it. 
because the Vagabond <laughs> is so different. Like, we haven't mentioned ruins. We haven't mentioned items. We haven't mentioned mm. the fact that between every clearing, there's woodland that the Vagabond can just disappear into. Like, the Vagabond is... Oh, yeah, quests, as you said, clearing out dungeons, forging alliances. The Vagabond can start working for the cats if it wants to, or start working for the Eerie. The Vagabond is, like... Just when you felt the game was quite asymmetrical, the Vagabond says, no, 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 really asymmetrical. <laughs> I'm playing a completely <laughs> yeah. different game. <laughs> it's The Vagabond is the classic example of how easy it is to ignore a faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. if you do, then you're in trouble. Yes. Because he just stacks up loads of stuff, loads of weapons, and is yeah. unstoppable, and wins the game. And one of the ways he gains points is by helping you. Yeah. So you're there getting cards from the Vagabond saying, oh, isn't this great? It's all cushy. I've got loads of cards now. Thanks, Vagabond. Mm. And then you realise he's won the game. Yeah, he's bought a load of things off you and he's unstoppable. Absolutely. You know, I mentioned when we remove sympathy, you score points. Generally, when you remove buildings or tokens from the board, you score points. So it behooves the cats, the Eerie and the Woodland Alliance to go and destroy each other's bases. That's an easy way of scoring points. The Vagabond doesn't have any buildings or tokens. So hitting the Vagabond doesn't get you anything. You know, you don't get like, oh man, my army just really beat up the Vagabond. I'm going to score loads. You don't get anything. All you're doing when you fight the Vagabond is stop the Vagabond. Like you, your troops rough him up as he comes into your town just because you feel you should. And that's part of how the Vagabond survives, that no one quite feels it's worth it to fight the Vagabond. And then you look at the Vagabond's score track and you're like, oh my goodness, this guy is unstoppable. And and likewise, the Vagabond can choose to start killing your troops. And if it does, it starts scoring points. But you, for hitting the Vagabond, don't get any points. So there's this lovely asymmetry there where it never feels worthwhile to hit the Vagabond. And all the games we've had where the Vagabond's won... The other teams at some point have said, we should be hitting the Vagabond, but we've been so busy fighting with each other that the Vagabond just kind of um, trundles through town, does a quest, and wins. Yeah, it's infuriating. So that's the factions. Yes. They are very different. Part of the excitement I've had about playing Root is that pretty much every time I've played, I've wanted to try a different faction and had a very different experience. Probably worth noting as well, a game lasts... 45 to 90 minutes depending on who you're playing with and how well you know the game so it's also a game that you can kind of get out get set up quite quickly play you're not committing to five or six hours in an afternoon to get through a game it yeah it goes quickly basically yeah absolutely yeah i I tell you what just while we're still sort of thinking about factions i just want Mm. to mention one of the expansion factions Mm. so there's two expansions out one has been out for a while. The other one is kind of just being delivered, but I don't think yeah. we haven't played any of the no any of that that expansion. Uh, but in the Riverfolk expansion, we've got the Otters, mm. and I think they're worth mentioning because I think they really add some spice to the game when they're in. And the Riverfolk, sorry, the Otters are the what are they called the Riverfolk. Company? They're called the Riverfolk Company. Yeah, and they're a, a group of merchants, Otters, who live by the river can move up and down the river with ease on boats and sell their services to the other factions. So they still do the same things that the other factions do. They can move around the forest, they can fight, but their economy works purely by trading in the spare uh, supply of meeples for each of the other factions. Mm. So instantly the cats and the birds become trading partners for them because they both have a huge stockpile of spare, spare troops that they can spend. And you use these, you trade these in to the, to the Riverfolk company to buy cards, to buy mercenaries, to buy access to their boats. And what they do, the otters really keep an eye on the board as a whole because their economy is based on other people buying the supplies they've got. So what they need to be able to do is say to the other players, oh, in this clearing you need to do this or this guy's going to get a load of points. Yeah. So you want to buy this card that I've got here. Their hand is public information. It's exactly. Worth noting. Yes. So they, the hand of cards they have, unlike the other players, they they have the game even comes with a little display rack. That yes. You can prop the cards in, so you can the say, "Look, I've got, I've got this great ambush card that you'd really like, or I've got this really powerful whatever other card. Please buy it." And if you weren't already playing the game in that political way, 
where you're trying to bargain and strike deals with the other players, the otters really drive it home because the otters mm. are constantly starting those conversations of, oh, look what this this person over here is doing. Look, look, look how well the mice are doing. We need to stop yeah. them. And to stop them, you need to buy some of the stuff I've got. They also set their prices, as you said, at the end of every turn. So they're also having a, a kind of internal conversation where they're thinking, I can see that using my riverboats is going to become really valuable. So where do I want to set the price that's just low enough to entice people, but also gets me enough meeples that I then am, am turning a profit? Now, I had a friend, a friend of the show, Ed, who, no, I think it was actually a friend of the show, Ben, who said they're basically the East India Company. They start out wanting to trade. And then people quickly realize that you shouldn't trade with them and that they're actually there for conquest. And Absolutely, can... yeah. Yeah, couldn't agree more. What I like about them is that they, they, they explicitly add that political aspect back into the game um, if it yes. was something you were ignoring. And I just think that they're, they're a really good fun faction. Again, it's, it's that thing where, like the Vagabond, because they're helping you, it's mm-hmm. easy to forget that they can just win the game as well. <laughs> yeah, you... and this this is that element of cruelty that comes into the game that I find really good. Like, I will happily trade with the otters, but I have to remind myself that I will also be willing to go and raid their bases and clear them out. If I attack them, that doesn't stop them trading with me, or rather, that doesn't stop me being allowed to trade with them. So you have to be really strict with yourself. Like, yeah, I have been friendly with them, and they have really helped me, but now they're becoming a nuisance, and we've got to go and and destroy their trading post. And yeah, that that I find, I find it really hard once I feel like I've allied with them to then go and punish them. But you should. You absolutely should. Yes. <laughs> Don't let yeah. any faction get ahead. They have a nice mechanic as well where these meeples that you're getting that people are paying to buy things from, they call them funds, and their funds give them actions. So once they have the funds, they can use them to do things like establish trading posts or march their troops or things like that. So they, they need interaction with other players if they want actions. But also if they don't spend those funds every turn, they just become points. So once they're rich enough, one of the things the otters can do is just sit back and not do anything and essentially hoard their coffers full of gold and and score out. So one of the challenges then is like making sure they're not rich enough to ever be in that really threatening position. A bit like where the Eerie builds so many roosts that it then just coasts towards, I'm scoring five points a turn, I'm going to finish this off. That can be a real interesting hinge point of the otters are getting rich. Stop trading with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I remember the first time we played with the otters. So actually, that was my first game. And uh, the, I was the cats. Another player was the birds. And we just were giving the, the otters a couple of things every turn. Mm. And then the, the, one of the other players who owned the game and has played quite a bit, he said at the end of the game, yeah, it's kind of accepted you don't give the otters more than a, a couple of troops every turn in total. Yeah. Because they just run away with victory, which is exactly what happened. <laughs> we were just like throwing cash to these otters all the time without a care in the world. And then surprisingly enough, they won. I mean, I last time I played, we had the otters and I was playing the Eerie. And I did a pretty insane thing, which was that I used the otters to allow my birds to fly along the river. Doesn't quite make sense, but there we go. And within a couple of turns, I attacked from my starting corner to the opposite corner, the cat's. And the the opposite corner where the cats start, they have a piece called the keep, which essentially means that clearing is theirs and no one else can build in it. And I managed to fly a strike force of birds across the map up the river (laughs) and take out the keep on about turn three or four. Amazing. And, you know, the cat player normally doesn't lose the keep unless things have gone really badly wrong. But the otters being in the woodland had completely changed up what we could all do. And I sort of swept through the map and yeah, I knew I was going to turmoil soon, so I was like, "Let's do this. We'll go and we'll go and smash the the cats." And it just completely changed the face of the game because it was a yeah this this strike force and also kind of taken out the core of what the cats were doing. It was brilliant. I was so pleased. <laughs> so let's let's talk about winning actually, uh, mm. because I know you've got a cool story about one of the types of winning. So generally, you're trying to get to thirty points. Yeah, cats get points by making buildings. Yeah, building buildings. Birds get points by having more roosts on the table at the end of their turn. Mm-hmm. The woodland lions get points for placing sympathy. Yep. And that's it. 
The Vagabond gets points for questing. Yes. And points for helping other people. Yes. Uh, and all factions get points for removing pieces. Mm-hmm. Which is buildings and tokens, not, yes, not warriors. Of the other yeah. factions. And also that everyone can craft items, which give you yeah. points as well. Yeah. Um, so the first the 30 points based on those main ways of getting points wins. Mm-hmm. Unless you play a dominance card. Yeah. And the way a dominance card works is you need to control three clearings. Mm-hmm. Or is it four clearings? Three clearings. Three clearings of the matching suit. Yeah. Uh, and then that that gives you victory. The The issue is, as soon as you play the dominance card, you remove your points tracker from the board. So at yeah. that point, the only way you can win is by dominance. Yeah, you've committed to that path. Yeah. Yes. For the dominance victory, you need to be controlling the three clearings at the beginning of your turn. So that means everyone else always has at least a full round or full turn to stop yeah. you from that before... You know, if you play it, even when you control four clearings of the same type, everyone else gets a turn to take off, uh, take clearing off you. Yeah. And the bird dominance is opposite corners. So the birds yes. are like a wild suit. Yeah. So for, for dominance, that you, you have to control diagonal, diagonally opposite corners. And that suits the birds because of how mobile they are. But yes. other factions could do it too. You know, for instance, the cats start the game controlling three of the four corners in the game. So in theory, they could very quickly score a dominance victory and that's why you can only play a dominance victory when you're at 10 points so otherwise (laughs) if the cats got one in their opening hand they could essentially win outright straight away so there's a slight cap on it i think there's probably a tactic with the cats to focus early on recruitment get up a big gang of cats and as Mm. soon as you hit 10 points grab a dominance card yeah and then and then go from there. And that means you don't have to keep the momentum up in terms of building buildings through the whole game, which can get difficult once you hit sort of 15, 20 points as the cats. Yes. You start to run out of places to build buildings easily. You run out of space and buildings get exponentially or like increasingly expensive. Yes. So whereas in your first turn you can hope to build a couple of buildings, later on you're sort of waiting turn after turn to stockpile enough lumber to build buildings. Yeah, dominance is a fascinating change-up, really, in that if you feel one player is running away with the game, maybe they're on 20 points and you're only on 10, you can say, actually, I'm going to force you to interact with me. I'm going to take this dominance card because I control three fox clearings. And suddenly their plan of like, I'll just keep building, no one can stop me, they then have to interact with you and stop your plan. Yeah, And it's one of the times where, you know, I mentioned the analogy of doing a jigsaw where you're all trying to get different puzzles. Uh, puzzle pieces from each other it's one of the times where it really forces that interaction because suddenly the other three players need to scheme against stopping you and you can do some quite underhand things where if you commit to helping stop someone but they don't you don't actually do what you've committed to and the other two players manage to stop you you're then free to forge ahead yourself so it's a, a little bit like when you're all um, you're in a race and you're all trying to pull each other back and if you're busy pulling back the person on your left the person on your right gets ahead and you have to focus on them instead yes absolutely yeah cool so like, i feel like we've given a really good sense of root yes. um is there anything else peter you want to say about why you've been enjoying it so much i think one of the things i really like about it is you mentioned the replayability and i just want to stress that y- you mm. do get quite a different experience with the collection of factions you've got in the game uh, so i've got the the base game and one of the expansions so that's mm-hmm. six options in terms of race yeah. or faction. In fact, no, seven, because you can have two Vagabonds with the expansion. Double Vagabond, yeah. yeah. So that's seven, uh, and mm-hmm. then the next expansion will add another two. And if you consider yeah. around about four players is is a, is a good size for the game, so three to five, there's quite a lot of variation in that. And yes. the, the yeah. game can change quite drastically depending on which factions you put in. And there is a way of, of calculating a more balanced experience so usually yeah. you always want the cats and then another strong military faction like the birds yeah. or I think maybe the moles from the second expansion mm. have quite a lot of troops. The underground duchy. Exactly. But but that's not, you know, you can get an interesting experience by, by not following those rules. So what yeah. happens if you've got a lot of underground factions and then the cats? Yeah. Can you work together to stop the cats from that military dominance and then slowly spread your... your... And the cats are sort of playing... 
uh, whack-a-mole at that point, that there's these <laughs> yeah. underground factions that they need to be a little bit like a cat with its paws trying to catch a piece of string, right? They're sort of yeah. like out, yeah, trying to stop it. So I, that's one of the things that really appeals to me. And and although, you know, I, I would say that, that it, it's quite balanced. I think some of the factions are harder to win with than others. Mm-hmm. I think it's accepted that the cats and the lizards find things a bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Not to say they can't win. Last game I played, the cats did win. Yeah. Your performance maybe depends on who's sitting around the table and how they want to play the game, rather than the inbuilt nature of your faction. Yes. There's a sort of weird thing going on where you can know your faction really well, but depending on who you're facing, they might all come for you. Yes. I've had a game as the Woodland Alliance where I was sort of halfway between the Eerie and the Cats, and I was always the easier target. Yeah. So I just kept getting munched. And that that was my own fault for positioning myself there because I didn't know the alliance well enough to sort of choose a slightly quieter spot to start my alliance, uh, my rebellion. I think especially if you know your faction well, people are always going to be saying, well, you know, this know this, yeah. this person over here, they knows what they, they know what they're doing. Let's make sure mm-hmm. they don't get a foothold. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And then, yeah, exactly as you say, how you interact with the other factions and and how much you know what they can and can't do. We, we've learned from a few vagabond victories that you have to stop the vagabond. Like at some point, everyone needs to take a tempo hit to deal with the vagabond. Yeah. But unless you get complete buy-in from the other players, that doesn't necessarily happen. And that thing I described earlier, if I say, yeah, this turn I will definitely hit the vagabond, but you agreeing with me that next turn you will do that, and next turn the Eerie come and hit me instead... <laughs> I just think what I could have, I could have, you know, used my troops to be better pre- prepared to fight the Eerie. So that's the kind of cutthroat nature of the game as well. That's really rewarding and also can be incredibly frustrating. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, is there anything else you want to add about the game? Anything about why you love it? Yeah, I, I actually want to add a sort of bigger picture thing around a burnout playing one particular game. Yeah, and how it can be really nice to play something else and something else that operates in a completely different way. I think doing a podcast about one particular game means necessarily we're quite focused on that game. And also then for me can bring up all sorts of feelings of, oh gosh, am I not putting enough time in with the game? Or, you know, should I be talking, should I be building more decks if the game say were a deck building game or should i be thinking about specific characters i don't let's call them investigators say for this example (laughs) should i be thinking about them should i be focusing on them should i be planning strategies whatever it is and playing other games is a nice way of refreshing one's batteries and getting a bit of uh, headspace as i'm saying it, it feels like that's really obvious but actually i think it's been really important this year to remember that we're both really passionate about other games and that positive experiences in other games are really nourishing for the main thing we do. So I suppose I'm saying that in a slightly long-winded way. Yeah, and oh, well, I guess my question to you, Frank, and we haven't discussed this, so I'm going to spring, spring this on you. Okay. Um, yeah. Would you do another episode on Root? Because uh, I think there's plenty to talk about. Or mm. would you do another episode on a different game? Is that something you'd be interested in, either of those things? Both of those things, depending slightly on listener feedback, what people think, and obviously given that our podcast is pretty focused on one particular game but maybe there could be a different kind of episode thing which is a you know time away from the main game refreshing that kind of thing you know we've we've sort of seeded in little mentions of other games haven't we along the way what we've been up to but never in this much detail so it'd be interesting to hear what what people think yeah and as i say that i'm thinking we've not talked about some plan of changing this podcast into focusing about more games i don't think that's a goal for no, either abs- of us no 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 definitely not uh, but whether it's it's a it's an infrequent type of episode or whether it's a separate maybe in pop- another 160 episodes we do one <laughs> yeah exactly yeah just another 3 years to wait uh, or even <laughs> a, a separate less frequently updated podcast yeah yeah wow you're committing us to two podcasts Peter. <laughs> live not. on air <laughs> <laughs> there's no going back now dog I also want to say I'm really excited about the the next expansion because it has a board, a new board, which is double-sided, which is pretty cool. Um, Oh, and there's also a thing where you can randomize the clearing types. 
which I think is also awesome for replayability just when you think you know where all the bunny clearings are. But then the underground duchy, the moles, they're like this unstoppable death ball coming up from underground. Yeah. But they're also really fragile. Any setbacks they have, the their advisors start deserting them. <laughs> so they're like all about pride and hubris and kind of, yeah, exerting themselves. But then they're paired with Corvid Corvid conspiracy, yes. which is crows who aren't like the eerie massively powerful they're almost vagabondish they kind of wander around laying plots and they're to me they're kind of the inverse of the otters the otters are all about like let's work together and the crows are all about like i'm gonna mess you up i've put a plot here that you don't know what it is they're all about subterfuge and and conspiracy and that yeah i think that's a really nice social element to add to the game as well uh, just so you know, Frank, there's been a cat licking himself just beside me for a few minutes. So I don't know okay. whether that's going to show up on the recording or not. But that's what that Marquise noise is if cat. you can hear it. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Marquis. Uh, yeah, the, the the crows sound really interesting. So that they can plant, they can plant secret conspiracies and clearings, which might be something you want to uncover or might be something you want to leave alone, depending on what you think it is. Mm. Uh, and then this this is. There's like a, a, a mechanic by which you can guess what it is. If you guess mm. right, then you know you manage to remove it from the board. If you guess wrong, then you end up giving the crows some resources. So there's like a double yeah. bluff element as well. What would be mm. the obvious move for the crows to do here? Or Corvids? Have they done it? Have they anticipated I'm going to guess that? And then have they put something yeah. else down instead? And yeah, that's where it's the inv- the otters are like, look, you can see people are coming to attack you. My mercenaries will help you. It's very explicit. Mm. And the crows is the is the flip side. I think you've seen that this is going to be a danger hotspot, and I'm putting a bomb here. And you're like, but you know that I've seen it, so you think I've put a bomb here, but I've not put a bomb here. I've put a raid here instead, or whatever it is. You're Absolutely, add this yeah, element yeah. To it. yeah. But I, I'm keen to. Say, I don't want to judge either of these factions without seeing them in action. No, because I think like they can certainly look like one thing on paper and turn mm-hmm. out to be something else in practice. Yeah, because um, I'd read a lot about how the lizards worked, and then when I saw them in in practice, that they're, they're a strange beast. The lizards, the lizard cult, yeah, lizard cult, yeah. Back to cults. Yeah, <laughs> they should do games with cults in them. They That'd should. Be really cool. Yeah. So interesting. You mentioned about seeing factions in in action because there's a really good youtube channel quackalope games that's done a few live plays of root and including some of the uh, expansion factions and one of the things i found most satisfying was seeing how they interact with each other when the otters are trying to sell you know they do the proper sales tactics of like this card it's going to really change you up it's so good and then likewise when the crows are being played the corvids the way that people get kind of tangled around knowing what they should or shouldn't do is just brilliant. So yeah, check out Quackalope Games. They do some really good videos. And shout out to Leader Games for making a fantastic skirmish board game. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really, really good. I'd encourage... I mean, lots of people have got a copy, so I'm sure you can find someone who's got a mm. version of it. And I think the, the learning curve, it's not a difficult game to learn. No. But there is a lot to learn. As, yeah. as you might have got the the messages we've gone through this podcast, a key part of the game is understanding the other faction's position and, and their, mm. their relative strength based on what they've got on the board. And yeah. that obviously only comes with experience and with an understanding of how the faction works. Mm. I remember mm. in my first games, I couldn't get my head around the Woodland Alliance. I sort of, <laughs> you know, you've got a lot of cards there. I'm kind of worried, so I'm going to go and hit some of these things just in case it's yeah. a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that worked out all right, actually. Happening. But but yeah. yeah, I think that learning curve comes into it when you're starting to have to learn five different games all at the same time. Mm. And especially mm. if you sit down to play with a group where the other players are all already established and they've got their own rhythms. Yes. Yeah. Just plugging into that can be challenging. Yes. But you know, and I'd say that's similar to joining any established group when they're playing a game you don't know. There's a certain amount of catch up and am I doing the right thing? And you have yeah. to say, uh, yeah, I think so. And, and and to an extent, you know, quite often in root, <laughs> it's in your interest for the other players to explain to you what you should be doing <laughs> at a particular time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've had this when I've been teaching people how to play. I'm explaining you know, the rules of the game to them, well, not necessarily for my own interests, 
But just yeah. so they know that there's a move they could take they might not have seen, which actually mm. would benefit me. That's And that's just making me think, actually, with the eerie. Everyone is keen to tell you how you can fulfill your degree yes, on any given turn. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. But what they yeah. can't see is the cards in your hand yeah. and how you're going to want to fill your de- fulfill your degree in two or three times. Yeah. And that's actually a really... I really enjoyed that playing the eerie. The people are saying, well, why don't you just move here and do this? It's like, well, yeah, I can go and attack that bunny clearing and build there. But next turn, I need to attack and build in a bunny clearing, which is much further away. So I maybe do a slightly more awkward turn this turn to set up an easier turn later or, yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's it, <laughs> there's almost a challenge aspect. If you say, oh, I don't mm. know how to do this, everyone like jumps up and starts looking at the board and saying, oh, well, you could go here to here. Yeah, everyone starts saying, well, you don't need to attack here. This mouse clearing's way too defended. Yeah. Okay, you've got, you've, got, you've got skin in the game there. Yeah, yeah. Or, or alternatively, you know, I've, I've heard someone say playing the birds is a bit like playing poker, that you've maybe seen how fragile your decree is. And you're like, well, I've yes. got this one card in move, and this is the only way I can get a move out of that clearing. And you just know yeah. if someone moves two meeples into another clearing and changes the rule, then you're absolutely yeah. screwed. Um, and you're just sitting there while the turn goes around the table, just praying no one else sees it or no one else sees the birds as a threat. Yeah, you'll often have that where someone will be like, what clearings do you need? And you're like, no, no, none. I don't need, don't, don't worry about the decree. Just sit with your arm over the decree. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and all of this, I think, adds to the replayability, learning about the game, learning about the factions. It just... It's easy to get it to the table, and then there's a lot of depth. So I've really enjoyed learning to play it in more detail with people as we all learn at the same speed. That's yeah. been really fun, really satisfying. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. There's a kind of communal aspect to it that's not simply let's smash each other's faces in. Well, I, I think we're sort of, yeah, we're wrapping up, aren't we? Yeah, we're wrapping up. You can get in touch with us. We're Lost in the Woods podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Lost in the Woods on Facebook and Twitter. We're on Patreon as Lost in the Woods and Designed by Humans, where you can buy your cute little beaver hoodies. None of that is accurate. Yes. Still <laughs> in all of the places. Please yeah, don't email Lost in the Woods podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a thing. Peter, how can people t- get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. So I'm on Twitter and. I can't say Discord because there's not really there's not a Discord for this game. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I'm on Twitter and uh, Reddit and Steam and Instagram as the dot United. Um, yeah. So yep, yeah, say hello. How about you, Frank? Yeah, I'm FEB or FB or Zoe Glass or Zozo around the place. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. For every bear that ever there was, we'll gather there for certain because the day's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. Mm-hmm.